We're coming to the table today to observe the Lord's Supper. And just like that video, we are coming from all different ages and backgrounds and ethnicities. And you know what binds us together, church? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are all welcome at his table. And I'm just so glad that you are here today. Thank you for not letting fear uh, keep you away uh, from church. And so we talked to... um, I did an interview Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday night with the local uh, CBS station and the lady was asking me, you know, what, what do we do with all this, you know, with fear and you think people will stay away from church on Sunday in light of what happened today? And I said, ma'am, I certainly hope not because if people stay away, then terror and fear wins. And so let us live our lives, let us live in freedom, let us live with prudence, but praise God, let us come to church and worship the risen Lord, amen? All right, amen. Come to the table. <laughs> Man, I'm, I didn't drink much coffee either. I'm just kind of jacked up this morning. I, I think it's the table. I really do. So today, as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, uh, we are going to read one passage of Scripture, only have one main driving point today, and it is that. Let us come. Uh, let us come just as we are. Come to the table of grace. Our deacons will serve us in a moment. We'll have time where we will eat the bread. We will drink from the cup. And as we do, we are we're actually fulfilling a very clear directive, a commandment of Jesus Christ. As a corporate body, there are two primary ordinances or commands that we keep. One is baptism when we go in the water and we are submerged into the water and we raise up. And that symbolizes what has happened in us spiritually. And then the Lord's table, that's the other commandment. Jesus said very specifically, explicitly, he said, do this uh, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're doing today. And the text we're going to look at primarily is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Last week, uh, we looked at verses 1 through 7. As we're preparing our hearts for one week from today, we're going to come and have our annual harvest day. And in your worship guides, you have an envelope there and you can take it out, take it home, pray over it, what you will give next week. But it's really fascinating text, is it not? Last week we talked about how Paul, he uses the word grace three specific times. He will use it again four times, nine verses, the Greek word charis or charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. And grace in the Bible is God's unmerited favor. It's God uh, being so kind toward us and forgiving us of our sins that he loved us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. You know, Christianity is a beautiful thing. It's not our attempt to reach up to God. It's God's great intervention when he comes down to man. And Jesus does that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so today we commemorate that. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died and he conquered death. He arose from the dead and he opens up his arms and he opens up heaven and he says, come, all of you come. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, it doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what background or caste or system you are, you just come as you are and I will give you grace and forgiveness and I will meet the greatest need 
of every human heart. And the greatest need that we have is to be right with God, to be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus says, hey, I can take care of that. I died. I arose from the dead. Believe on me. And here I, I call it the great exchange. What a divine exchange where God says, give me your sin and I will give you my grace. I will give you my forgiveness. So all four times, really, the word charis, you could use the synonym giving, giving. And so in our text, it says, for you know, gnosko, you know this. By experience, you know this, church at Corinth. The chorus, fourth time, nine verses, you know the giving, really, of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so incredibly rich. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, we're going to leave that verse up there for a few minutes. That is such a, I call it a theologically pregnant passage of Scripture. It's just, it's just, it's just full. You know what I'm saying? This verse contains the gospel. It prepares us for not only the Lord's Supper, but it also prepares us to come and give our gifts at the altar next week. Now, last time we talked about how Paul, just an ingenious move on his part, he was motivating the church at Corinth by the example of the churches of Macedonia. Remember this last week we talked about it. Let me, let me just share with you briefly. They're taking up an offering for the church at Jerusalem. Now, the church at Jerusalem, all, we don't know a lot except that they had fallen on hard times. I don't know, was it a famine or maybe just some, some catastrophe? Something had happened in Jerusalem. And Paul, the greatest missionary, he is been sent out and he is, he's taken up an offering. He's going, hey, churches that I helped start and plant, would you join me in giving an offering to help the church at Jerusalem because she has fallen on hard times? Church at Corinth, would you do this? And this is what he does. It's, so in, it's an ingenious move. He says, I want to motivate you by the example of the churches of Macedonia, churches like Berea, churches like Philippi, Thessaloniki, he said, these churches, though they had deep affliction and great poverty intermingled with amazing joy, they presented a wonderful offering for us to take to the church at Jerusalem. In verse 5, I love that. He said, and they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. So based on what they did in their poverty, in their great need, in their hour of trial and tremendous I mean, I mean, really, they are suffering, and yet in light of all of that, they said, no, Paul, take this gift. Take this offering and give it to the church at Jerusalem because, yes, we're suffering, but they're suffering more. Take our gift. And Paul says, way to go. And while I've got your attention, Paul might say, <laughs> let's talk about somebody else who did this. Let's talk about somebody else that in his poverty, he gave all that he had so that we might live spiritually. Now, here's the verse. He says, for you know this church, you know the grace of God, you know the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, what does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus Christ is the eternal second person of the Godhead. He is the eternal son of God. He has always been, he always will be. Our great triune God has always been in community, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father turns to the Son and says, leave your wealth, leave your riches, leave all of this glory, and go down to planet Earth. I have a mission for you. And only you can accomplish this because as I send you, I am sending me. And I want you to go. And I want you to redeem that lost world. And the way you do it, the only way it can happen is you have to shed your blood. You have to pour out your life. And though you are rich, Jesus become poor. So that the people, all of humanity, when they come to you in their poverty, they can be redeemed so that they can be wealthy spiritually for eternity. That's the gospel. Isn't that amazing? No other religion has that. <laughs> I promise you. No other religion offers a redeeming grace where all you'd have to do is come as you are and say, God, I have nothing. Would you forgive me? Would you restore me? The one true God, restore me back into, God, you created me. Restore me, God. Save me. And that is, that's the gospel. Now, Paul, again, it's just a brilliant stroke. It's a genius move. I basically, I'm, I'm putting myself at the church at Corinth going, my word, man, he pulled out a double whammy. He put the double barrel on me. I, mean, I know they didn't have double barrel back then, but anyway, follow him with me. He's going, he's appealing to not only the churches of Macedonia, but now he's even appealed to Jesus Christ himself. How can I not be generous? How can I not give of my financial means to the work of the Lord for the help of others in light of my brothers who are suffering, and they gave in light of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his all for us. And so it's a, it's a powerful motivating factor, and I would apply it to Great Hills Baptist Church. And I'm appealing to you next week to come to the table, or not the table, but the altar, and come and give a sacrificial gift, a financial offering to help your church, your local church, so that we might combine our resources and, and, and pull them together and accomplish all that God has put on our hearts to accomplish. And I just want you to know something. Forgive me for bragging for just a moment as I brag on you, but Great Hills Baptist Church is able to do some amazing things as we come together in unity and we give our tithes and our offerings. We are able literally to touch the world. There are a lot of churches in the Southern Baptist of Texas, and we're one of them. We're up to about 2,700 churches. This week, I'll be in the executive committee. I'm on that committee, and I will represent Great Hills Baptist Church, and I gladly do. And by the way, they're happy, happy to see me. You say, well, why are they so happy to see you? It's because of you. We're number 11 out of 2,700 churches in our offerings and our gifts to the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. I think that's pretty impressive, to be honest with you. I do. And within the Austin Baptist Association, there's 200 churches, and we're like number, number three. Three out of 200 Southern Baptist churches we give. And by the way, we are giving in the midst of a $5 million debt, and we are giving in the midst of being way behind in our budget. And some people look at me and say, that is the most pitiful economics, mathematics, accountability that I've ever heard. How can we continue to be generous and give to missions and bless others and those who are struggling when we ourselves are struggling? And I say, go to the Word of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I think we are a whole lot like what God wants us to be like when we are given not out of our affluence, not out of our bounty, not out of our tremendous blessing, but we are giving out of our need. I think that pleases God. 
I think that honors God when we do that. So we're giving, and we're going to keep giving. And we give in the midst of need, but come less than three years, we're going to, it's going to be a whole different dynamic. We will be giving out of a place of abundance, out of a place of, of wealth, really. So if God can trust us in the little things, somebody help me. He'll trust us in the big things. But if we're unfaithful in the little things, we're unfaithful in times of trial, what makes God think we're going to be faithful in times of abundance and, and blessing? Come to the table. I love that song. Sidewalk prophets, come. Come to the table. And that's what we're about to do. We're about to come in recognition of who Jesus is, what he did for us, the example he has given to us. This is really, this is really funny. I just thought of this. It's not in my manuscript. I like my manuscript. It's all notes. It's all fine, dandy. But this is not in there. Had a little boy come up this morning. He couldn't be three years of age. Now, this, this, this is just really cool. And uh, Lulani, she asks the little boy, she goes, who is that? And it's just me, right? It's Brother Danny. And she goes, that's Jesus. <laughs> I said, I said no, and I was telling somebody this story. She goes, well, did you tell him you're not Jesus? I said, yes, I did. I told him, oh, I want to be just like him. That's sweet. That's comical, but it is sweet. I want to be like Jesus, who gave everything so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live an abundant life. Back to the table, back to baptism, back to financially giving of our tithes and offerings, and back to sharing our faith. Let, let me share what those four things have in common. Let me say them again. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, witnessing, sharing our faith, and giving of our tithes and our offerings. We, we have a faith that is theological, philosophical, at times esoteric, right? Existential. I mean, it is a, it is a faith proposition. We, we don't see Jesus walking around today like they did 2,000 years ago. Nobody knows what faith, love looks like. We can't, we can't see it with our naked eye, our empirical senses. But listen to this, church. When we, as the people of God, when we do those tangible expressions of our faith, it builds our faith and it presents a powerful witness to those who are watching from without. For example, when you go to the baptistry and get baptized... I mean, you're coming out of the closet, right? You're saying, I believe it all. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He arose from the dead. I'm coming up a new woman. I'm coming out a new man of God. And then when you come to the table in a moment, you will be handling these the sacred elements. You'll be taking a piece of bread. You will be taking juice for everybody to see. So much for esoterical, so much for theological, so much for philosophical. Man, this is real. You with me? You see it. You touch it. You taste it. You ingest it. And, and it is a very sacred spiritual moment when you share your faith. Listen, when you come out at work and you, you pull a person aside, one of your colleagues, and just say, listen, I, 
I, I know, you know, I'm a religious person. You know, I go to church and all that. But can I just tell you what Jesus Christ means to me? Man, when you start doing that, I mean, it's no longer in the esoterical, philosophical realm. It's in the, it's in the gritty here and now. And when you come and you give your offering, and when I come, and we're coming, by the way, I, I'm not going to play hooky next week. I'm, I'm going to be here next Sunday. How many of y'all are going to come? Some of you are like, well, I don't know about that. You know, we just, you know. It's one of my favorite Sundays. My favorite Sunday is December the 3rd. It's always my favorite Sunday of the year. It's one of our least attended services of the year, but it's my favorite. I got work to do because that's Missions Sunday, right? So next Sunday when you come, bring your offering. Ashley and I, we've had some good conversations. She goes, well, based on what you said last week, I guess I know what, what we're going to be doing. We're going to be giving. And I love my wife. She, she's like, let's do it. Uh, let, let's significantly deplete what little savings account we have, and we're going to give it to Great Hills. You say, well, that's, that goes back to bad mathematics. That goes back to bad e- economics. You, you can't do that. No, let me, let, me just, let me just tell you something. I love my church. I love what God is doing in my church. And if I really do love it, let me put my money where my mouth is, Right? And people say, well, I love church. What does the church do for me? Can can I just share with you, by the way, as a member of Great Hills Baptist Church, you've already sent money and resources to First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs. You don't even know it. When you give a dollar, like 7% of that dollar goes to international missionaries, home missionaries. It goes to train and educate uh, uh, young pastors and, and missionaries. When you give money to Great Hills Baptist, it's, it's an amazing thing. People say, well, I, I love parachurch organizations, and I do too. And I like to give to them, and I do too. But they don't get my tithe. They don't get my offerings. That comes to Great Hills Baptist Church because this is my church. This is my community. This is the church that will bury me if I were to die. I would be buried in this place. And one of you pastors would preach that my funeral right here, if something were to happen to one of my kids, it would be you. And you would rally around me and you would say, we are with you. We are your family. We are your church. And I love parachurch organizations, but none of them are going to preach my funeral, but I'm going to preach yours. Because this is your church. I can't preach all your funerals. You understand, Brother Ross, praise God for Ross and preacher who helped so much. Are y'all getting my drift here? I believe, brother, I think I'll send half a tithe over to there. They're not going to do for you what your church is going to do. Y'all okay? Come to the table. I don't like talking about money. That's what somebody told me last week. They said, oh, brother Danny, you you caused a little storm. People are kind of fussing among themselves about money. And I was like, good. (laughs) You had to wrestle. Wrestle with it. Listen, because when you give money... It's, it's not just in the esoteric, oh, I believe and church is good and, and I appreciate my pastor. He's preaching the word and I, I appreciate all those things. Yeah, thank you for burying me when I die and all that. But yeah, I just, I can't. But you can. You, you have to. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, where your monies are, there your life and your heart's affections are as well. Oh, we're coming to the table. That's so exciting. I don't know how y'all feel about it. When that deacon gives me that bread, I just I get excited. I was like, get to eat the bread. And 
get to drink the juice. What does that represent? Do you believe, Brother Danny, in transubstantiationism? That's a seven-syllable word. My word, my Catholic brothers, how do they get all that in there, you know? What does that mean? For them, that means this will actually become the body and the bread, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Consubstantiationism. Lutherans say, nope, Brother Danny, you bless it, then it becomes the body. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that. I believe... It's just as sacred, and Ulrich Swingley got it right. It is a memorial feast that that bread that we're about to eat represents the body of Jesus Christ. That that blood, that, that juice, it represents, it's a metaphor that points to the blood shed for me on the cross. And when I eat it, man, when I drink it, I'm saying I believe it all. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the only redeemer. He's the only king, the only savior who died for me. And I'm eating it. Man, I'm drinking it because I believe it all. I believe it all. I believe it all. And it is a, it is a memorial. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you, you remember me, you're obeying me, and you're proclaiming my death until I come again. Here it is. 1 Corinthians. See it? 11.26, often as you eat the bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to come to the table. We'll eat. We will drink. We'll come back and share a time of invitation, and then we'll be dismissed. But first of all, let's pray together. Men, men of God, deacons, servant leaders, let me ask you to man your stations and get ready because we're, we're about to celebrate. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. It's so rich. It's so deep. Yet, Lord, it's not so deep. We can't understand it. And I thank you for letting us understand it. All of us can understand, Lord, that you're a God of love who loved us so much that you gave us your best. You gave us your all. You gave us your son. And, Lord, as we eat the bread today and drink the juice, it's not something just in a metaphysical, existential, philosophical realm. No, Lord, this is true, real stuff. God, this is... This is life and death stuff. This is, this is forgiveness of sin that is real to us. And as we eat the bread, Lord, we celebrate and we rejoice that our God loved us so much. Our King, came, He came to redeem us from our sin, from being in bondage and slavery to sin. Thank you, Lord, for breaking our chains. Thank you, God, for setting us free. And the least we can do, Lord, is honor you and worship you and say thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.